0: You're listening to the Doheny Podcast Network, the Doheny Eye Institute, working for all to see. Your host is Jody Becker.
1: My guest is Dr. Monica Ketri, a pediatric ophthalmologist. Dr. Ketri serves as the chief of pediatric ophthalmology service at Harbor UCLA Medical Center, where she teaches UCLA medical students, ophthalmology residents, and fellows, Dr. Ketri specializes in the evaluation and management of strabismus and ocular muscle disorders, including what's commonly called lazy eye, as well as pediatric cataracts, pediatric glaucoma, and more. Dr. Ketri is also a medical educator, researcher, and winner of over two dozen academic and professional awards. Thanks so much for joining me, Monica.
0: Thank you, Jody. I think it's a pleasure being here.
1: So I'm so curious about your specialty. I think it's a very special specialty because you treat very young patients, sometimes even infants, and decision-making for the parents can be very tough. Can you share some insights about some of your cases and how you walk parents through the kinds of decisions they'll be facing?
0: With infants and toddlers, especially those who can't speak for themselves, it can be hard for parents to determine what their level of sight is. And so that's why it really is important with ophthalmologists to get a good exam to get a sense for what a patient's potential for vision is, what a patient's potential for binocularity, which is essentially how to use their eyes together, which can be affected by strabismus, which is a misalignment of the eyes, which is a very common problem that we see in our clinics, uh, as well as lazy eye or amblyopia, as it's commonly termed.
1: Generally, does the parent first notice that there's something with the eyes or is that evident at birth by the medical staff? Or how, how does the initial diagnosis usually come about?
0: I would say both. I would say about half of the time parents will notice that there's something wrong. So one of the first things that they might notice is that there might be a crossing of the eyes or perhaps the baby may not be following objects or faces as well as they perhaps should at that age. But in other cases, it may not be so evident. And, you know, on screening tests with the pediatrician at their well child checks, that may be where it's picked up that perhaps one eye is not working as well as the other, or there may be a subtle strabismus or misalignment of the eyes. So it's kind of both in conjunction, the parent and the medical provider working together.
1: So your work includes assisting patients who have strabismus, who have pediatric cataracts, even pediatric glaucoma. Can you talk with us about some of the cases and the therapies that are available for those?
0: The thing with pediatric cataracts and and glaucoma, those are often, uh, they present at very young age, but they can also be acquired later on when kids are in later childhood and even teenagers. And most commonly, these ones, you know, can be picked up if they're congenital. By simply looking at a photograph, Um, a a lot of times parents will notice that when they take a photograph, they can see a white reflex where the pupil should be. And that can be an alert that there may be something going wrong inside the eye, for example, as a pediatric cataract. Typically, in those cases, we're looking at a surgery to remove the cataract or in the terms of glaucoma, a surgery to help lower the eye pressure, which is usually the causative um, problem in pediatric glaucoma. And, you know, because these patients are, are getting surgery and getting treatment at such a young age, which is quite necessary, you know, throughout their life, they're going to be monitored, you know, very uh, closely because whenever there is a strike essentially to the vision at such a young age, these patients are at a higher risk of developing other eye problems, such as a lazy eye, um, ocular alignment problems with strabismus, needing glasses at an early age. But if we get to them, you know, at at the appropriate time, which can be as young as one month of age, you know, for surgery, we can hopefully try to restore vision um, to as best as we can.
1: So I just want to make sure I'm understanding you. I think I heard you saying that even a parent taking a picture, for example, taking a picture with their phone and then looking at the picture, that might be the first inkling or step towards a diagnosis when they see how the child's eye looks.
0: That's right. So, um, you know, when we normally take a picture, we all know that, you know, you can see those um, the red eyes that we all don't like and we try to, you know, edit out with Photoshop. But those are actually a sign that, you know, that the eyes are healthy because it's a good sign that you can that the light is reaching all the way to the back of the retina. But when you see, you know, one eye perhaps might have that nice red reflex, but you see a white reflex that comes back. um, That's actually termed leukocoria which is a sign that there could be an opacity inside the eye. Now, that could be a cataract, that could be a retinal detachment, that could be a tumor. Um, Now, you know, with the cameras these days, sometimes you can get false alarms. But I would, like I said, I would much rather see 100 false alarms than lose, you know, one patient who might, um, you know, have a problem inside their eye that really needs to be dealt into.
1: And doctor, you also said that surgery can be performed on a child as young as
0: one month old? That's right. So, you know, whenever there is um, you know a, a problem with the eye, such as a congenital cataract, we want to remove that as quickly as possible and as quickly as safely possible because a baby is still developing their visual system. And so if they go for, you know, quite a number of months or weeks, without having good visual input coming in from the eye to the brain, the brain doesn't have a chance to develop well. And so if the cataract is taken out at a later time point, the brain has lost all this time where it should be developing normally. And at that point, even though we still do see some benefit from taking out the cataract, we don't have as much benefit as we could at, say, four weeks of age or six weeks of age. So that's why it's so imperative to really get to these babies as quickly as possible because we want to be able to give them the best vision they can, they have, um, not only when they're in childhood, but throughout their adult life.
1: And I know that, uh, you also are interested in anatomically tailored surgical solutions. Can you explain a little bit how each case and each individual presents a different challenge?
0: Sure. So this is particularly important for patients with strabismus, which is a misalignment of the eyes. And in in strabismus, you know, patients can either have a crossing of the eyes, they can have um, eyes where the eyes are out from one another. So one eye looks like it's um, deviating outward. And they can also have, you know, a strabismus pattern where one eye is higher than the other. Now, no two patients with strabismus are exactly alike. You know, some patients have strabismus that worsens up close and others have strabismus that worsens when they're looking at things far away or in certain gaze positions. So because of that uniqueness that every patient presents, every patient requires a different surgical procedure really to be performed. There are six extraocular muscles in each eye and each of those muscles has a particular function in moving the eye in a particular direction. So sometimes it's like a puzzle trying to figure out which muscles would be the best options to operate on to give your particular patient the best outcome and give them the best chance of having their eyes be straight.
1: As you're talking, I can't help but think of what is the size of the instrument that you're using to perform these surgeries
0: on infants? They are very tiny. (laughs) So um, that's the one thing about ophthalmology in general is that our instruments are, are very precise, very small, to, to, and very delicate. And that's particularly true for the pediatric side. it's, a, you know, very delicate procedures. The incisions are, are very small, which is excellent for kids for healing. Um, the smaller the incisions that we can make, the quicker that babies and children can heal.
1: So I'm curious, how are you trained to use these super tiny instruments?
0: Well, we have the advantage of using excellent microscopes and surgical loops, which allow for magnification of what, we were, what we we're doing. And in particular, in, in the terms of taking out pediatric cataracts, for example, we use automated machines and what we call vitrectors that help us essentially break up the cataract into small pieces and then suck it out through a very small incision. So that way we don't have to make, create a big incision in a baby's eye to take out a larger size lens.
1: We've been talking about some rather serious issues that pediatric patients might face with their eyes, but even kids who seem to be having some mild vision issues, glasses wearing, what do you recommend as far as those kinds of therapies? Are contact lenses available for children now, or sort of what kind of therapies are available?
0: Eyeglasses is probably the, the mainstay of treatment for refractive air, even if it's mild, Contact lenses are an option for children, but I usually reserve contact lenses for children that are older. Um, For me, I usually would say around 12 or 13 years of age, but there's a lot of variability here. I think taking care of contact lenses is a big responsibility for children. They need to be able to keep them clean. They need to be able to make sure they take them um, on and off at the appropriate times, not wear them when they're sleeping or, or taking a bath. And so I leave a lot of those decisions up to the parents and have a discussion with them.
1: How young is too young for glasses or what do you
0: recommend? To be honest, there's no age that's too young, too young for glasses. I have had babies you know, who are as little as four weeks old, who are getting glasses. This is particularly the case after babies get cataract surgery, they get put in to glasses, or in that case, they get specialized contact lenses, specifically formulated just for babies after that surgery. Um, And they get it put in right after surgery. The nice thing is, is we have these days, quite a few companies out there that are specifically designing eyeglasses, you know, for babies and for toddlers. And In those cases, what you really want to look for are these flexible kind of plastic looking uh, eyeglasses that have bands that go across the back of the head. And so they're flexible and they grow with the baby and there's less chances of them breaking or causing issues.
1: You mentioned the cataract surgery recovery, but other reasons why glasses would be appropriate for a baby who's only a few months old?
0: Whenever we want to give um, glasses for a baby, we usually have a, a higher threshold that we would allow babies to have um, to have refractive error before we would consider giving glasses. So really, our concern is: if, is the baby at risk of developing amblyopia? And amblyopia is a problem where you know vision loss occurs because of the vision coming in through the eyes is not sufficient enough to allow for good connections to form between the eye and the brain. So if the refractive error is particularly large in a certain baby, for example, they're extremely myopic, you know, be, which is another word for nearsighted, or they're extremely hyperopic, where, where they are very farsighted or they have very high astigmatism, that would be a reason to give them glasses at a very early age. Now, it's more rare. Typically, I would say that most patients that we see, they start getting glasses around three, three years old, um, perhaps even, you know, five, seven years of age. But there are certainly instances where, you know, babies as young as a few months of age might require glasses. Now, typically, these babies can have other systemic conditions as well that can clue us in that they may be at higher risk of developing amblyopia, such as if they were born premature, if they have any other systemic conditions or developmental delay, or if they've undergone any kind of trauma at the time of delivery. But certainly, you know, I've I've definitely seen some babies where, Um, There were no other extenuating circumstances, and they just were not tracking their their parents' faces that well. They were not tracking objects that well, which include, you know, the provider in and the parents in, that there may be something wrong with the baby's vision, which prompted an ophthalmic exam detecting that there was a high refractive error.
1: Thank you. And I, I know that your work definitely includes a component of counseling or guiding parents, who I'm sure are curious and want the best help for their children and go online like we all do, looking for <laughs> solutions and ideas and might find options like vision therapy. Can you talk a little bit about some of those options out there?
0: Um, as you know, there is a lot of information, and it can be information overload for parents who are just trying to do the best thing for their child. The um, you know, unfortunate thing is that some of the information out there can be erroneous. You know, like we talked about before, strabismus is very varied and no two patients are alike. Vision therapy is essentially the idea that um, you can use exercises to train your, the muscles of your eyes to either straighten them out or, in the case of amblyopia, to try to improve the vision in the eye. Now, while some patients would benefit from vision therapy, I would say that probably the majority of patients may not because you really have to have very specific conditions to be candidates for this vision therapy to work. Um, In other cases, you know, what can happen is, is the vision therapy, while I don't believe it really does any harm, it might delay the patient in getting the appropriate medical or surgical intervention to give them the best chance of having great vision.
1: Doctor, just before you go, can you talk to us a little bit about some of the evolving therapies in the field that you're excited about?
0: Sure. So there are several avenues which are currently being looked at um, in centers across the US of trying to improve our treatment of amblyopia. Um, one is the, the use of laser refractive surgery in helping um, patients as as little as you know little babies to even younger teenagers. Currently, we don't recommend using laser refractive surgery such as LASIK or PRK until patients are much older, because we know that their eyes will grow and change. But, you know, we definitely see a good number of patients, particularly those who have developmental delay or other concerns, where it's very difficult for for parents or providers to try to get them to wear their eyeglasses or get them to wear their contact lenses. And in those patients, using laser refractive surgery, even at a very young age, might have a lot of benefits for them later on, because it can help them prevent the amblyopia that can develop if they're not wearing their eyeglasses. So, so so much of our therapy with amblyopia has really been reliant on the use of patching. Patching is essentially where you occlude one eye for a certain part of the day and allow the brain to have dedicated time by using the bad eye. Now, during that time, the, the patient's required to use a patch for either two or three hours every day. Of course, as you can imagine, many children are not that compliant with this therapy. They don't want to walk around with the patch over their eye. And so there's a lot of research that's being done in how to encourage compliance and perhaps other modalities of amblyopia treatment. And one of those is trying to use video games and movies that give different inputs to both eyes at the same time, but providing lower contrast images to the good eye and higher contrast images to the bad eye to try to stimulate both eyes to be working at the same time, but still helping the bad eye really be stimulated and have the brain form those connections in that manner. And because they're video games and and movies, oftentimes there's a little heightened level of compliance with these avenues. So hopefully we can offer in the next several years our our patients a wider variety of options in trying to treat their amblyopia.
1: So wait, you're saying it's either... Would you like to wear a patch or would you like to play a video game?
0: That may be the way that we're, <laughs> that we're going to be going. So I can imagine what uh, most children would choose.
1: <laughs> Seems like it, right?
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: Dr. Monica Ketri, thank you so much for your time and your insights about your practice. I hope you'll come back.
0: My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Thanks. The Doheny Eye Institute. At the forefront in eradicating eye disease for nearly 70 years, is dedicated to providing state-of-the-art clinical services and supporting leading researchers in the quest for treatments that stabilize and improve the precious sense of sight. Doheny is now affiliated with UCLA Stein Eye Institute. For more information about our doctors and their innovative work in the quest for better vision, visit our website, Doheny.org.